Well, hello and welcome again to Coming Home Network Presents, where we have the kinds of conversations that people have when they are exploring Catholicism and wondering if they should become a part of the church. There are often a lot of wild issues that come up. That is certainly the case with the two guests that I have on today. But uh, this is a production of the Coming Home Network. If you are at any stage of inquiry regarding the Catholic Church, please reach out to us. We would love to walk with you, answer any questions. We've all walked this road ourselves, so... Anything you think is a dumb question, we've asked dumber ones. So uh, reach out to us, um, chnetwork.org. And specifically, if you are like today's guest and you have a professional ministry background, we actually have a whole page devoted to resources for people like you. It's at chnetwork.org slash vocation dash support. And of course, if you want to make it so that we can continue to work with all kinds of people on the journey, especially those men and women who are coming from professional ministry backgrounds, uh, then by all means, give to what we're doing by going to chnetwork.org slash donate. So today on the program, we've got two guys who uh, you can go check out their Journey Home episodes and hear exactly um, you know, how they ended up in the church. It's long and winding and complicated stories. Uh, I feel like this is the beginning of a joke. we got a Baptist minister and a Methodist minister walking into a bar here. Uh, Andy McNutt's uh, former Baptist, Mike Allen, former Methodist. Uh, gentlemen, welcome to the program. Thanks, Matt. Great to be here. All right. So uh, I already know out of the gates, this is something I've been preparing myself for. I come from, uh, my people are all Kentucky and Tennessee people, and I know who I'm dealing with here. I have, you know, sort of neutralized my voice for the broadcast world, but whenever I get around my people, I slip back into the old linguistic ways so i apologize if that comes out here talking to the two of you all but um i want to get into a couple of things as i mentioned people can go see your journey home episodes if you want to learn more about your story but mike i'm going to start with you and uh, we'll get to andy here in a second but how did you experience a call to ministry and what did you think that you were going to do with that call to ministry Hmm. Uh, I, I first began to sense a call to ministry when I was in college. I uh, went to the University of Kentucky. I grew up here in Lexington. And, I, you know, I, I had a really strong local United Methodist Church where I, uh, in high school, really experienced a deeper relationship with Christ and was really where I sh- was shaped and formed. And when I got into college, uh, being local, I continued to be really active in that church and got involved as well. Um, with youth ministry, and of course, to all the people that I really respected and admired on my own faith journey were youth ministers, and so I really began to to experience what I thought was a call to full time youth ministry. I was about three fourths through uh, my undergraduate degree, which strangely enough was in electrical engineering, um, but I felt this call to first time uh, to full time Christian ministry, and so. I made the decision knowing that, um, you know, I was going to have to have a bachelor's degree anyway to go to, to seminary and Asbury Seminary. Just like the people that I admired were youth ministers, they were also Asbury Seminary alums, as uh, Asbury Seminaries in Wilmore, Kentucky, just south of Lexington. Um, and so uh, I went ahead and finished out my degree at UK and went to Asbury Seminary, worked full-time in youth ministry while I was there. At a certain point after I finished up at Asbury Seminary and I was serving in a, in a United Methodist Church down in South Carolina, I began to sense that um, 
that my future was going to also involve pastoral ministry, being a pastor of a church. And so that's kind of how my call, I guess, continued to unfold. Well, uh, a few years after you were at Asbury Seminary, I was at Asbury College uh, across the street. If you know anything about Wilmore, Kentucky, it's a very, very small place. Uh, But there's this street that goes down the middle, and the college is on one side, the seminary is on the other side, and never the twain shall meet unless it's the Asbury Seminarians crossing the street to visit the music department (laughs) at Asbury College so they can find a wife who's a piano player. That's the only time that the... That the things cross. Um, it's the Jordan River that separates law from grace. Is what that's we right, say. exactly. That's what it is. Um, so, and uh, what's funny is that I had a lot of Christian ministries majors friends, and they were on this track. And, and this might have been, I don't know how it was for you, Andy, in the Baptist world. We'll get to you in just a second. But I do know that there were a whole lot of my people, um, guys in my hall and guys that I went to class with, and they were on this track that, at least in the Methodist world, was... Christian Ministries degree, seminary, youth ministry, associate pastor, senior pastor. Like everybody's kind of on this like <laughs> like this track <laughs> in my world. So sounds like you were in that world too. Um, so Andy, same question to you. Uh, how did you first experience the call to ministry and what did you think you were going to be doing with that call? It was <clears throat> a long and winding road, really. Um I think the actual the actual time where I felt like I needed to go forward and make a make it public that I was going into ministry was at a a Christian rock concert. <laughs> okay, now if you're <laughs> gonna they, say they, that, Andy, I'm gonna stop you right there. You got to say which band. I don't recall. <laughs> oh no, that's terrible. After I've just done two episodes on Christian music and we don't remember which. No. Oh man, that's that's brutal. It that's wasn't. Brutal. It was more. It was more on the pop side, and so the, so many of those bands ran together. You know. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> it, if they if they had stood out, believe me, I would have told you. And, and no offense to the to the group that was singing, it, I was more interested in what this this pounding in my chest. Hmm. What because I'd been praying about whether or not I needed to uh, to do something full time because people just assumed, oh, you'll do the Bible study, you'll do the the uh, FCA meetings at school, all this stuff. And so it was about my junior year of high school. And I realized that it was going to be a full-time thing in mm. some kind of ministry. I just didn't know what. Um, and at that, it was at that point that I decided it was going to be undergrad, Bible degree, or a Christian studies degree, religion degree, and then straight to seminary. And then we'll figure out where that puts me. And I, as I understood it, music, youth, pastoring, possibly education, because we I had heard of that animal, even though my church didn't have one. So that or missionary to you know deepest darkest wherever, that's about the only options I thought I had until I got to undergrad and realized, you know there are as many options as there are people in the school. Yeah, people doing all kinds of things, and that was the case with. I mean, it, it was sort of a joke that these people in my college would be going and getting a Christian ministries degree. Well, that could mean anything, <laughs> right? Mm. <laughs> so what do you what do you do with that? So uh, then, Mike, you went on and uh, were a senior pastor, Andy. Um, I can't remember exactly in your story. Uh, how far did you go with that? So as far as church work goes, paid church work, um, I did uh, associate pastoring. So mostly it was going to be either in youth or education. My last uh, hop was as a associate pastor of youth and uh, faith formation or uh, education. 
All right. So yeah, that was the last two- jump. So kind of, I tried to split that time up. Yeah. So, so we got two guys, uh, both of them feeling called, uh, by the Lord to do something for him. And in, uh, both cases working in a church, uh, and with the church and a bunch of other stuff as anybody who's ever been involved in pastoral ministry in the Protestant context knows, uh, there's the stuff that's part of your job. And then there's all the other stuff that you do. that's not in the job description, <laughs> but, but falls to you. So, um, I'll start with you, Mike, on the, on this next piece, uh, because this really is, um, hopefully a consolation to people who, mm. for whom the, the work part of this and what are they going to do with their lives that they become Catholic? Um, you know, pastors who might be watching and listening to this right now. Where were you in your ministry track when you started feeling the pull towards the Catholic Church? And what was, what was driving that thought in your mind mm. and that, that question in your heart? Well, you know, uh, my, journey was probably similar to a lot of journeys to the Catholic Church in terms of it started with basic curiosity, more like of an intellectual curiosity, um, not feeling drawn to the Catholic faith or certainly uh, never th- imagined that I'd be drawn to the Catholic faith, but just, you know, began to ask some questions just to better understand Catholicism, because I really wasn't so much anti-Catholic as I just was you know, fairly ignorant, and the Catholic faith was largely ir- largely irrelevant to my life. Um, and so, just from uh, be- began to you know, as I was learning about the Catholic, and I was having these little light bulb moments where I'd be like, "Oh, that's what the Catholic Church actually teaches," or "That's the biblical passage that Catholics base that idea or practice on," or "Oh no, uh, I was wrong about this. This is what the Church actually teaches." And all those things began to coalesce after a number of years, and I started to appreciate first first appreciate the Catholic faith, uh, and then it was like those all light bulbs, all the uh, light bulbs coalesced together, and I saw this sort of panoramic, comprehensive, integrated vision that really uh, just grabbed a hold of my chest, and I just uh, I saw truth. Not not as a rejection of what I had already believed, but a completion or a fullness. And so, you know, I, that it was probably 2004, after I'd been on that journey about five years, five or six years, um, that all of a sudden I realized, oh my gosh, I'm hooked. Uh, I was leading somewhere, and it scared me to death because my wife really wasn't with the journey, on the journey with me at that point, and... You know, I was just finishing up a, another degree, and this was my this was my call. You know, uh, to be a Methodist minister, living in a Methodist parsonage, all that, and it was a real crisis for me. Um, but I realized that if I was going to be able to have any kind of interior peace, something was going to have to finally happen. Yeah, Andy, I'm going to ask you that question, but I'm going to add a little piece of it that Mike just brought up, which is, you know, so so the basic, you know, idea of where were you when you began to feel this pull? But but Mike, um, you know, was was really kind of pointing at something here too, and that is, did you feel as though that previous call when you began to feel this, that that maybe you had misheard the Lord about him calling you to be in this Baptist mm-hmm. ministry world. Did you feel like when this started happening to you that, that maybe 
you know, you gotten your wires crossed and God had been telling you to do something different. You just misread the whole thing. No, I, it, there wasn't a question of the call. It was a question, I guess, of, okay, mm. I did all this prep. I was in fourth year of seminary. And I've done all this prep. I did all my undergrad degree. I have no training in anything other than Jesus. <laughs> and now I'm here I am in church. I don't have my master's finished. So, you know, okay, am I going to stay in grad school and finish it, even though I'm not going to be Baptist anymore? I'm at a Baptist school, Baptist grad school seminary. Uh, what, what, what do you expect of me? That, that was really the question that I was, you know, how am I going to provide mm-hmm. for my family? You, you've given me all this stuff, but I can't, it's not like I can become a priest when I walk in. Do you want me to be like some kind of an education guy? I mean, it was just questions. Sure. You know, how, yeah. And most of them rolled back to how am I going to provide for the family? Because I've always believed that wherever God wanted me to be, that he was going to give me what I needed to do it. And I didn't see anything in front of me except question marks and, you know, blank. Hmm. So it, yeah, I this was, is... This is a piece of your story I really wanted to, to, to dig into because, Mike, you'd already completed your education. Uh, you might have still been paying it off, right? But uh, no. it's kind of a different story. And people don't, um, I think, realize this. I mean, we, we're we familiar with stories of a guy or, or a lady even who's got a congregation and they drop that. They switch careers. They got to find a new way to provide for themselves. They got to, well, as Mike, you, was, you were saying, um, they were living in a parsonage that was paid for by the church. Now they got to go <laughs> <Right>. buy a house, <laughs> right? Or find, or find a place to rent. Uh, but Andy, were you in a situation, because I know a lot of our people are, where your denomination or your congregation was paying for that seminary? Or were you paying out of pocket? Because sometimes no, it's a little bit no, of both. I was paying for that. Yeah. I was paying for that, paying for my house. I had a housing stipend, but it wasn't a church-owned property, property mm-hmm. or anything like that. It was, you know, it, it was one of those tax-free benefits um, this is a benefit of the church, so it was taxed a little different. But, but no, and I, and I, like you said, I didn't, and I said I didn't have my degree finished. So I always, I always envied those guys that had their degree finished. Oh well, you know, you could go teach somewhere, you could do whatever. I don't even have a piece of paper. I've got a bachelor's, which you know, it's not nothing. But mm-hmm. if I wanted, if I wanted to teach, it was it would be go back and get a teaching certification, which would be at least another two years. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, do what? Uh, starve? <laughs> you know, hmm. it was, yeah. Yeah. Or, or again, this is the thing that, you know, a lot of people ask us uh, over the Coming Home Network. They're like, oh, yeah, so, you know, these pastors that come across, you know, um, do a bunch of them become priests? I'm like, nope. <laughs> do you become deacons? I'm like, nope. And uh, they wouldn't want to anyway because these people, often of them have small children, and deacon ain't a paying gig. <laughs> right in the Catholic Church, I'm sorry, it's just not right. And I'm a so, right, now. right. So, uh, this is why I really want to dig into your stories, and I, I encourage people again to go watch uh, Mike and Andy's Journey Home episodes, where there's a whole bunch of stuff related to like how they came to these conclusions and what they were going through, and how it, this played out in, the, in their family lives and that sort of thing. But that question of what is my degree worth? Uh, Andy, that you were just talking about. Um, in the Catholic Church, if you've got a systematic theology degree in Calvinism, man, what's that? What good's that in the Catholic Church, right? Mike, you're a little closer because you reformed Wesleyan, and that's a lot. That's a lot closer. But, but mm. Mike, uh, when you were thinking about the ramifications of this, and you were thinking, what can I do for a living? Were you thinking, 
I used to have some electrical engineering training back there. I mean, what were you thinking? <laughs> no, I wasn't thinking about, I mean, I didn't, you know, my, my electrical engineering degree at that point was, uh, gosh, 17 years uh, away and I'd never worked in it. So the only thing I remember about engineering was uh, voltage equals current times resistance. That would that- <laughs> That was the only thing I remembered, and it is a it is a tough place because you know even though you know when you're a, a pastor or in full time ministry, you know inside yourself that you have a lot of translatable skills, um, but convincing an employer that you have those translatable skills is a whole different matter, you know. And when they see your resume, and a lot of these places probably have, uh, you know resume screening software and when they they're looking for certain things and you know i I was in in a kind of a pickle because you know i wasn't catholic yet so no catholic church was going to hire me right and a secular employer is got a lot kind of probably interior red flags so yeah i mean i you know i thought i i I thought about, you know, maybe I could be a teacher, perhaps. Maybe I could be on, on a staff at a, at a Catholic church. Um, you know, I, I, I was really struggling to, to, to figure that out. And, and, uh, we made the decision to, that we were going to do that before we had anything lined up. And so it was a pretty scary time, honestly. Well, I know how scary it was because, so you came into the church what year? Remind me. In August of 2005. All right. So I remember this uh, because I was on my own journey, and Mm -hmm. I had uh, been at Asbury College. I had just moved up to Cincinnati in about 02 or so, and um, I was walking this road fairly alone, and I had only fairly recently discovered um, the Coming Home Network and Catholic Radio, really, and hearing Mm -hmm. the journey home and uh, these episodes and be like, okay, I'm not insane. (laughs) Um, right. There is this person out there. Apparently, I think it's Scott, somebody, right, who has done this before. Um, but I remember going back home to visit my parents in Lexington and open up the Lexington Herald Leader and the faith (laughs) section. And there in the August 2005 issues, this guy from Park United Methodist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, with his whole family who became Catholic. And it's laying out there on the table (laughs) on my parents' like dining room table. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I hope they read this so they realize I'm not just like the one crazy person in central Kentucky uh, who became Catholic. Um, but I remember thinking, like, what is that guy going to do? Yeah. I've searched out Catholicism a little bit, and I know if he gets a church job, he's got way too many kids to make any money. <laughs> right? um, yeah, and let's be honest, the Catholic parishes don't pay at the same level as Protestant congregations. You ain't even close. Oh, it's yeah. not even close. Um, so they're used to, you know, paying priests and, <laughs> and and they're still, I mean, a lot of Catholic schools are still thinking like they're paying sisters, which means they're not. Right. So, um, but Andy, so if I recall, were, were you in Tennessee at the time for this? Yes. Okay. So it would have been a similar yeah, problem was, probably I, for I you. Come back from, I was doing seminary uh, through remote and some um, some satellite campuses while I finished my degree and I was working at a church in Tennessee. Yeah, so knowing what I know about Kentucky and Tennessee and that there are no Catholics, and if you know Catholics, you don't know that they're Catholic, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. it, you're, you're also in very strong Bible Belt, you know, God guns in America yeah. country, and 
if you know that if somebody knows you're a good Christian person, Andy, they might give you a job and you let you figure it out. That's not necessarily the same depending on where you are in Tennessee if they find out you're a good Catholic person. Uh, so that who you know card was not a card that you could necessarily have played in the same way, right? Mm. Because the Bible Belt's just kind of a different spot, right? Yeah, well, and, you know, when you stay, if I had stayed in town where I was, then, yeah, it was going to be hard playing the who you know card because most of the people I knew were like church people. And when I had, and and, it, and understand too, there were kind of parallel things going on in my life, uh, but I knew down the road when I ever I was to become Catholic, it probably wasn't going to be in the town where I was because I figured most of the people in that circle probably not going to want to do me many favors. And so, you know, I was trying to think kind of like chess down the road a couple of moves. And when when that time eventually comes for me to join the Catholic Church, how am I going to provide for my family? You know, let's just look in places where I would consider living, including home. But where are the jobs that might give me a shot? And there was nothing locally. All right. Well, this is where we get into hopefully sharing a little bit of hope with the people who are in this situation and at this transition point right now. Because uh, as we mentioned a moment ago, neither you all are deacons, neither of you are priests. (laughs) All right. Um, So that means that you've found something somewhere. Hmm. Uh, that uses your skill set. So let's start with you, Mike. Uh, What are some of the skills that you brought to the table that you didn't think would be valuable, but you started to realize were valuable once you started to shop around, um, that you kind of developed either your training uh, to be a pastor or that you developed from actually running a church? Hmm. Yeah, and I I will say I I was very fortunate. I mean, I told told you that there was a real— frightening time in our lives, you know, because basically I announced, kind of forced to, because the rumor mill in January that I was going to be stepping down in June. So my congregation knew for five months that I was going to become Catholic, and they still put up with me, which was pretty amazing, really. Um, we I'd been there for seven years, you know, but so I, but I was in that season where I was knowing that the clock was ticking and that we were going to have to move out of this parsonage. We'd all, we already found out we, that my wife was expecting our seventh child. And I literally, I mean, I, I would only say that it was a grace to get, that got me through because I, by nature, I'm, I'm very prone to anxiety and worry. Um, my, my wife is much more live by faith. I'm really, I got to see it in front of me. And so, during that season when I could have really despaired because every month was ticking by and nothing was presenting itself. Um, I was, uh, uh, it, it, God's grace got through, got, got me through, uh, in some really dark moments, but I was fortunate to have been, uh, somebody had encouraged me even when no one else knew besides our closest circle of friends to reach out to the Bishop of Lexington at the time, Bishop, gainer and um you know he was he was kind and he befriended me and uh and, and ultimately uh, there a position emerged at the diocese that that uh he offered to me uh, he, he actually he, he i called him the day before we were moving out of the parsonage into a house that we'd signed a lease for and we had no idea how we were going to pay for it and uh 
on that day, uh, he offered me that job. And so really, I actually started July 1 and didn't come into full communion until August 13th. So <laughs> I was on the diocesan staff for six weeks before I became Catholic. But, um, the, and the, and the position was the director of family life ministries, you know. So, you know, being, uh, somebody who'd worked with, with, with youth and families, um, you know, had worked, you know, of course, done a lot of marriage preparation and that sort of thing, had done a lot of preaching on the issues of family life. Uh, it really was a, was a good fit for me. Uh, you know, and I, I you know, I, I had some, I think, good sort of interpersonal skills that had been developed over the years of full-time ministry that, that I was able to, um, kind of continue to hone and, and lean upon, um, and, and, um, you know, just began to have a real pastoral, I guess, uh, mindset toward that whole ministry. And, uh, fortunately, uh, my bishop then was very supportive and basically I really didn't have a job description per se. He gave me some guidance, but I was able to kind of build that ministry from the ground up. I think people don't realize how rare that is for a pastor in a diocese to mm -hmm. call up the bishop of that diocese and actually get a phone call back. Um, and it's not because the bishops are mean and don't care. It's that often you're a hot potato man. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, what's it going to exactly the next time there's the uh, ecumenical rotary club <laughs> golf outing and the bishop shows up and it looks like he poached one. Like, right. how's that make the other guys feel, yes. uh, you know, who are there? I mean, it's, it's a very um, delicate situation. So that is a yes. very rare thing that Bishop Gaynor was, uh, was even willing to sit down and have conversations with you and trying to figure out how to make things work out. Cause again, I mean, there's a lot of, especially in, in larger cities, uh, things that can be very, mm. um, very, very tense uh, in regard to that. Andy, uh, did you, as you were looking for work, um, think back on like, what are the skills that I have developed in ministry that might be useful in something besides pastor in a Baptist church? I really thought my skill set lent itself to being a director of religious education or being a youth minister somewhere. But there were no takers. <laughs> there, mm. I mean, I, and it, it's not like I knew where the Catholic job board was. Mm. Um, the only place I really knew to look were like Jim Anderson and some of the people at Coming Home Network said, hey, we've got a job posting board. You should check this and maybe it'll lead to something. But there were no ministry opportunities. I saw a chaplaincy one, but they really wanted someone who was um, a priest. So I'm out. Mm -hmm. Um you know, and, and the rest of them were, you know, oh, you don't have a master's degree, um, so we can't interview you for youth minister. Oh, I was, yeah, there there just weren't, there weren't really a lot of opportunities using my most direct experience in ministry. Where I was actually finding more information was, like we kind of alluded to earlier, that skill set, you know, I know how to research, I know how to write, and I got more uh, opportunities on the secular side, applying some of our research and writing skills, and I ended up getting a technical writing job. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really important thing to to to, to bring into the mix because uh, you've both um, in sharing this kind of pointed out 
these these two kind of places that people end up going because you can't be a priest and can't be a deacon or you don't feel called to the priesthood or the diaconate. Most of the people that we talk to who did Protestant ministry, I mean, it's not like a Pentecostal pastor is like, I think I'm supposed to be called to, you know, the priesthood. <laughs> I mean, that's not, most of them are, that's not where they're coming from, right? Mm-hmm. That's not where they feel the Lord is drawing them. Um, but Mike, you landed working for the church. Andy, you initially uh, ended up working in the world. Um, but I think it highlights the fact that both of you are using some kind of talent that you were using in your previous ministry formation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I find uh, that, you know, that's one of the tunnel vision things that can happen when you're in that crisis point and thinking, I can't do anything, um, is just to hear some of those examples. Uh, so, for instance, uh, I mean, Andy, were you trained at all in, in counseling, uh, <laughs> right, in finance and yeah. in some of these other things? If you were going to run a parish, you had to know all that stuff, oh, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And the smaller the church, the more you had to do. Mm. Uh, I was fortunate mm-hmm. to have staffs where we at least were able to have an associate pastor, which was me, uh, and then some, you know, some finance staff. And a lot of it was volunteer work, but we had people that did some of those things. But I know guys that manage everything uh, in their in their little churches, you know, out in the country or wherever. They do it all. So they've got even more skills than I do. I didn't have that, but what I did have, you know, translated pretty well. I just needed a little help to get in front of somebody to interview me. Yeah, and and I think too that idea of talking to some people um, who've made that that uh, leap before. Uh, Andy, you mentioned Jim Anderson, who, if our listeners mm-hmm. aren't familiar with him, he's the uh, guy who. Well, he's the guy who's done just about every job in the Coming Home Network over the years. He's <laughs> he's the outside of Marcus Grodi, he's been here the longest, and he is uh, one of those people who kind of has kept tabs on all of our mm-hmm. um, clergy, especially who've come into the church, you know, as they progress and, and move forward. But um, I'll ask you first, uh, Mike: Have you been uh, as a pastor who became Catholic and is on the other side? Have you been able to have any of those kinds of conversations with? people who are active in Protestant ministry and, and in that crisis point that you were in back then and trying to figure out where on earth am I going to land? Oh, certainly. And, you know, and I've, I've talked to people who, who both have made that journey and become Catholic and others that I thought would, but in, at the end of the day, they, they just couldn't, you know, they, they couldn't take that leap. They, uh, you know, I, I, I remember going through that, season in my own journey before it was public thinking maybe I can be just a Methodist who appreciates the Catholic Church you know I can just have a you know I can I know I know I have friends who call themselves Methodics you know I I, I can have a uh, appreciation I feel like that's of the a church. problem that the governor's <laughs> dealing with in Kentucky you know yeah, that's, so um yeah I've I've, I've, I've experienced both and I you know I, I try to you know, because for me, and, and everybody's got to follow their own conscience, I guess, you know, even though the journey to become Catholic and, and to be Catholic for, for now 17 years, it has not in any way been easy, you know. Um, as we've said, Catholic churches pay less. I took a big cut because I didn't have a parsonage. Uh, we had seven kids, and I've I've been all about over for 17 years multiple streams of income what could i do what what hustles i can have you know i've i've i've, I've worked as a bus boy you know a, a few nights away. i mean you know i i don't want to give anybody a false impression cuz it there you're going to have to work your tail off you know god's been good but and and i 
fortunately been healthy enough to be able to do that. But, uh, but yeah, I do have those conversations with people and I just, you know, try to encourage them. Look, if I, if, if I could trust God as anxiety prone as I am, then, you know, I, ultimately I think it came down to me to, do I believe what my faith teaches and do I believe God enough to lead us as we seek the truth that we, that's been revealed to us. So, and I think actually when you talk about all the little side hustles, I think when I first met you, I had just gotten into Catholic radio in the Cincinnati area. And I think you were doing some Catholic radio in Lexington yes. for a while there. So, um, as a matter of fact, what's funny is that, uh, I had gotten my media communications degree at Asbury College, and but great place to do that. By the way, it's a fantastic place to do that. I got to do. I got so many cool opportunities. But I also they teach you uh, media ethics and theory down there. And after taking that class, I'm like, I'm, I don't want to go to hell. I can't work in the media. Are you kidding me, man? So I uh, went on and played in my punk rock bands and thought that I'll never be able to use this in any kind of ethical or meaningful way. Mm. I was thinking about studying theology and that sort of thing and having the worst time getting plugged into um, the Catholic church. Uh, I was here. I was, you know, preparing to be married and uh, well, I was I actually did get married in 2004, came into the church in 2005. Um, uh, so married January of four came into the church Easter of five. So a few months later, and was just trying to figure out how do I plug into this this church? Nobody's saying hello to me after mass. I mean, how am I supposed to? Yeah. Are you kidding me? And uh, my wife's like, just call up the Catholic radio station and volunteer. I'm like, all right. So I called up the local Catholic radio station, which had just gone on the air in 2001, I believe. And I uh, called up the station manager. I was like, hey, I've got a media communications degree. And I I went to school thinking I was going to be in radio. I've been listening to Marty Brenneman and Joe Nuxall on the radio my whole <laughs> life. And I was like, I want to be in radio. Um Everybody else is like, I want to do digital nonlinear video editing, editing and multimedia. I'm like, I want to do radio. And they're like, radio is not even going to exist in three years. So I call him up and he was just so excited that here's a guy who was a practicing Catholic who not very much practice, uh, but a practicing Catholic who had a background in media communications emphasis on radio and was under the age of 95 and listening to his radio station. So he called me in and immediately I was doing like little odd jobs around the radio station and that sort of blossomed into, into something more. But I can tell you that I never thought when I was coming across that I would ever have any kind of gig mm -hmm. in the life of the church uh, because I thought all my formation is in Wesleyan stuff and I don't even know what, half of these acronyms are that Catholics are using. Like, the language barrier is, it's a steep, steep learning curve. Andy, for you, as you were coming into the church and looking, I mean, you're surfing around looking at these DRE jobs, and and of course, that most horrible thing you can ever see on a job description is that you need three to five years of experience, but there's no job <laughs> out there that would ever give you the experience. Uh, so you're stuck in this loop. I mean, did was that an intimidating thing to look at these things and think, I can't go to school for six more years to get this job. No, that was the most intimidating part for me was just, I, I didn't feel like I qualified for when they were asking for all the degrees and whatever. Like I can't, I don't have that kind of time. I need something that will pay bills now. And so, okay, maybe eventually I, mm. I was willing to consider that maybe God would open that up. But in the immediate future, I had to find a way to pay bills. Now we have kids mm. and, and needs. And so that was just, 
and I'll qualify this by saying uh, I did. I read a lot, and I was a hardcore Calvinist, five pointer all the way mm. uh, as a Southern Baptist. But you know, good luck. There's not a whole lot of them. But <laughs> one thing that I knew for sure was that um, God would provide. And I had read about Hudson Taylor. I had read about George Mueller. And I knew these great men of faith that said, you know what? If God wants it to happen, he's going to let it happen. And I believe Mother Teresa taught the same thing. But it's, Mm. you know, I'll ask God. He has lots of money. So, and I can remember uh, Father Rochelle talking about his encounter with Mother Teresa about that. But I I just, I said, okay, God, but but now, what now? And yeah, I was, I was just daunted by all the, all the expectations Mm. that I saw. And even I was 20, Five, twenty four, twenty five, and I was told at a couple of places you're too old to be a youth minister. <laughs> what wow. age do you think we're to be? You're going to grab some kid straight out of college. I mean, they're going to be at least twenty one, twenty two. But yeah, just you know, it was discouraging to have the kind of stuff that I thought I would really excel in, uh, kind of not be there. And it doesn't mean that they're never there. They mm-hmm. just weren't there for me at that time. You know. Yeah, probably learned a whole but lot it, about yourself at, it was at a that big time. Difference. Yeah, so yeah. so since this is meant to be a thing of hope, um, and you know there are people probably with like a legal pad out there thinking like what <laughs> what kind of jobs can I can I do? So let's just machine gun this thing. Uh, so if if you could, Mike, you go first. I want you to if you can list the different things that you've been able to do for money since becoming Catholic and leaving your job as a Protestant pastor. So if you could just. Just machine gummy. What do you got? Uh, you don't want me to mention the uh, busboy or lawn mowing gigs because the, I've done. Okay, so I've you mentioned busboy. Lawn mowing's a good one, right? Yeah. Uh, I've delivered phone books before. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I did some training for uh, uh, a Catholic publishing company. You know, I would go out and do some some trainings for marriage prep curriculum. Um, I uh, did the radio gig for about seven years as a side job. Uh, I've taught for 2006 for since 2006, I've taught one class at our local Catholic high school, which has enabled us to help be able to send our children there. Um, I've tutored, uh, kids. Um, I have had gotten speaking uh, engagements, and did some self promotion, and parishes had me come in to do a, you know, a Lenten mission or or that sort of thing. So, uh, my motto has been A M F M, anything moral for money. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Um, and uh, what you're what are you doing now specifically, just to kind of round out the thing? Okay, I'm the director of family life and evangelization for the Catholic Diocese of Lexington, and I teach one class at the local high school. I teach scripture, the Old Testament in the fall, New Testament in the spring, to seniors. All right, good deal. All right, Andy, you got the lightning round now. So what all have you done since becoming Catholic? For money, FM, for money. (laughs) For money, uh, technical, technical writer. Uh, quality system manager. I um, translate a lot of that into doing IT work because I learned about servers, websites, and security. So working small business, you learn everything. So I did a lot uh, at call center, worked call center, man- ended up managing the call center. I did collections. 
I taught high school, taught middle school, taught elementary school, uh, all in private schools that didn't require masters. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I did the call center customer service, um, did a market marketing and sales, web development, and I did some. I, I was paid to do some some gigs, and the, the coming being on the coming home network on a journey home. Got gave me a little bit of notoriety, but that didn't last very long. But it was fun uh, doing that. But yeah, I, I, I was not the next Scott Hahn. I'm not the next Scott Hahn. Who is? Oh, my dream <laughs> uh, But yeah, I mean, and, and I found most. I ended up getting on that IT gig, and that's what's taken me to where I am today. Mm. So I was watching the. Uh... It, it was it was because a lot of people were willing to invest in me and. And give me opportunities, mm-hmm. and and that's the part that for me is the most hope because I realized that from from the coming home network, I was not on my own. There were men and women who had either gone through it or were going through it, and said, "Hey, there, if this is where God is leading you, then God's going to provide, and let me help you with that." And to find you know men and women along the way, and all my employers were not Catholics, but you know, getting some of those skill sets from kind people and people that you know, just showing some interest in something. Hey, how do you do, you know, how do you do that? I like to talk. Give me some, a job with talking, mm-hmm. call center, sales, marketing, you know, there are lots of skills that you have that I had that I just needed a little bit of training because I didn't go to school for those things. But then mm-hmm. you realize the thing that you can do when someone kind of helps point them out to you. So I, that was a great blessing for me. It taught me the power of community and network. Hmm. Well, in some ways, you already had a, had that as part of your superpower, and uh, this is apparent to any pastor who's ever been part of any kind of church that they've got to run. What's a manager got to do? They got to find a bunch of weird and quirky personalities and figure out how to make them get along. And if you've ever worked in a church, man, my goodness, <laughs> I mean, it's the art of trying to make a whole bunch of people who have very little in common except for Jesus figure out how to get along with one another. So, I mean, this is, um, this is a big, this is a big part of it. Uh, you know, we joke about the next Scott Hahn thing, like Scott, you know, he comes up in so many stories because he kind of was the first like loud guy to do it. Uh, right. Because, you know, there was, it was kind of like this unheard of thing and, and he's uh, just done such a, um, a powerful job of being, you know, kind of the welcome wagon for a lot of these these pastors. It's amazing how many people we've kind of connected through him over the years. But I was watching the Packers and Buccaneers game the other day. There's a commercial. I can't even remember what it was for, but it was Morgan Freeman reading a letter that Tom Brady had written to some kid and uh, some kid who was told they were going to be the next Tom Brady. And Tom Brady, Tom Brady's writing being read in Morgan Freeman's voice. It was very a lot of gravitas on this commercial. Uh, You're speaking says, about heart. I'm a I'm a long time Bucks fan. So there you go. It, you are long suffering, my friend. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm a Reds fan and a Bucks fan and a UK football oh. fan. So hey, that's, hey, that's I mean, the trifecta. Any friend of Vinny Testaverde's is a friend of mine. So, <laughs> but Tom's advice to this kid, as read in the voice of Morgan Freeman, is like, you know, I heard some people say that you're going to be the next Tom Brady. You're going to be the next you, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and, and that's, I think, a thing to, to remind people who are in this spot. Like, 
don't come across and immediately think that you're going to have to have some speaking ministry or write your tell-all conversion story book or or do all these things out of the gates and develop some notoriety. And, yeah. and Marcus Grodi, if there's one Bible story that I feel like he's quoted more than any other Bible story, either on the journey home or internally when we're talking about the mission of the Coming Home Network, it's the parable from, I believe it's Luke's Gospel. Um, and we heard it fairly recently at Mass where, you know, <laughs> if you go to the banquet— um, don't go sit in that seat up towards the front, right? Because yeah. the guy who runs it will say, uh, excuse me, this is somebody else's seat. Why don't you sit in the back? Instead, go sit in the back and then someone will say, friend, what are, you, what are you doing sitting all the way back here? Come on up. Come on up to the front, right? And uh, in some ways, that's kind of the – that's kind of how – I mean, you're, you guys you're both used to being in charge of the room, right? Mm. <laughs> so, like, Andy, what kind of adjustment was that for you to be like, I got to sit in the back? and just wait for the opportunity as opposed to coming in and telling people how this ought to be run. Now, that was my story. That parable was my story because I expected it. I was, as I saw it in my mind's eye, I was the, I was going to be superstar, mega pastor, writing books, doing stuff. And now God says, no, you need mm. hubris. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. Now I'll be the Catholic mega guy. You know, just show just show me, I, you know, I'll go on the journey home. I've seen all kinds of guys do that. I'll get some books. I'll be writing. We'll finish that degree. Let's do it. And every attempt that I made to kind of, I don't want to say self-aggrandize, but just to kind of put myself out there. Yeah, I got a couple of opportunities, but it's, they really didn't go anywhere. And I think what God was saying is you need to check your ego there, buddy. Mm. And, and important priority is trust. And so I've never been in a position really financially where I've been, I've been comfortable, you know, where I can say, Oh, you know, I can take it easy. Now I can coast. I've always been anxious and I'm an anxious mm -hmm. guy. I'm a warrior. And so I think it's in this God has said, Hey, remember that part in, mm -hmm. in the Lord's prayer that, that I taught you to pray all the time where I say daily bread. Yeah. Wow. We're talking the manna in the wilderness here, we're talking about the Eucharist. We're talking about grace for the day, mm. not where you can sit back. And say, oh, I've got yes. everything I need. I'll be fine. So it's, that was a big uh, ego check for me. And so to, I was the guy that ran up to the first table and mm. God said, no, no, that's not for you. That's not where I want you. Mm. And it's in, in kind of in those humble positions where I've learned to trust in God more to, grow closer to my wife and my children to learn how community works and to be a part of that rather than think that I'm somehow above that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I really, and, and I'll, and I'll credit the blessed mother for that too, because reading um, true devotion to Mary mm -hmm. and reading that really kind of kicked my butt mentally and, mm -hmm. and spiritually where I stand in the whole big picture of things and just having that kind of abandonment to God and saying, you know, God, it's wherever, mm -hmm. then I'll do You want me to scrub toilets? I'll scrub toilets. You want me mm -hmm. to, to go back to escape work? I've done that. I've worked at McDonald's. I've worked in collections. Yeah. I can do all those things. You just show me where. Mm -hmm. And then opportunities are presenting themselves. And it's not, I don't think it's like he was waiting on me. I think it was just, my, I wasn't seeing them. Because mm -hmm. I was looking for the, the, the superstar gig. This, I'm not for the superstar gig. And and so through all those things and saying, well, I guess God has taken that ministry and putting it on the shelf. And mm. he wasn't. He was showing me where my real ministry was. Mm. And, and that's 
it's been eye opening. And even just now, I'm in my third year of uh, formation as a deacon. So I'm a candidate. I'm not a deacon. But it's he didn't give me the freedom to even pursue that until three years ago. And you came into the church what year, the uh, by the way? You've been because you've been in here longer than any of 02. us, right? Oh two. Oh two. I came in at oh two, so I'm going on twenty years this mm-hmm. December. So you were at the seventeen so year mark when you uh, started the diaconate, hmm. roughly. Mike, you yeah. listening to this, by the way, yeah. Mister Seventeen <laughs> Years? Of- <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> Did you have anything you wanted to add to that, Mike? By the way, well. I- First of all, I thought you were going to quote the scripture from a few weeks ago in Mass, make friends for yourselves with dishonest wealth. I thought that's where you were going. <laughs> oh, that may be a whole other show. Um, um, no, I, I, uh, I think about that from my uh, experience in the Wesleyan tradition. Of course, I was a baptized Southern Baptist. I will say, uh, and then I became a Methodist in high school. But there was a there's a prayer that's called John Wesley's Covenant Prayer, and at a certain point, I think it says, "Let me um, something like let let me be used for thee or or set aside for thee." So sometimes I know exactly uh, what Andy's talking about. You know that sense of. Um, Maybe God's will for me is to be set aside, you know, and and to, to to have to live in that and that reality and find that deeper surrender, you know. Um, yeah, that that's I think a, a big deal. I, I do want to, and I, and I don't don't want to forget to mention that, you know, when when I was in that season, a few months before we became officially Catholic, when I didn't know what I was going to be doing for a living, I was filled with all these anxieties and fears. A um, probably a somewhat known coming home, coming home network alum and person, Dr. Kenneth Howell, mm-hmm. uh, who I just met over the phone. He'd been very kind to me. Out of the blue, I get a card in the mail from him with a hundred dollar check, just saying, "Let this be a sign that God is faithful." You know, um, and I'm sure. That Kenneth Howell's like Andy, and he's me, and like you, and I'm sure that $100 came very dear. But what a gift that was of kindness and faithfulness. And it was, you know, it was just, I'll never forget that. Well, that's such a a powerful story. Dr. Ken Howell, by the way, didn't come in easy either. Mm -hmm, (laughs) I encourage people to go watch his multiple appearances on The Journey Home. I mean, he's he's got powerful, he's just a brilliant, uh, brilliant Mm -hmm. guy. But that's, I think, one of the coolest things about the Coming Home Network as an apostolate and, and, and how it's kind of worked in these situations is because we don't, by the way, I want to give the impression that, you know, become Catholic and get a $100 rebate, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is not how it works. But there have been, it's an amazing thing to think about, like how many times someone um, has come in and said, I'm struggling with this, I, I need this and this and this. And we say, well, where do you live? Um we know a person in your area, you know, wow. who works at a Catholic high school or something like that, all right? Or, yeah. or, or things like that that have been a handout. Andy, I know that you've, uh, you know, uh, been a person who's always said, "Hey, uh, I'm happy to talk to anybody who's going through these struggles." Right, Mike? I know you've you've done mm-hmm. that too. I'm sure with a lot of fellow Asbarians as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's this sense that you don't have to do it alone, and it does. There's no 
There's no wrong way to eat a Reese's, right? And there's no one thing that a person who used to be a pastor in the Protestant world can do when they become Catholic. Um, God's faithful, and uh, we probably named like 30 jobs just in this little episode. <laughs> but um, I do want to put it out there because both of you have been open to people who are pastors in this situation reaching out to you before. Sure. Um, is there any way that you want to mention, uh, Andy, we'll start with you, how people can get in touch and reach out if they are exactly, if they're, especially if they're a Baptist, right, who is where you were and is looking for some kind of word of encouragement um, b- because they see their whole ministry just like collapsing in front of them? Well, uh, I mean, I, I, years ago I would have said go to my website, <laughs> but I, I don't have any of that anymore. Uh, so what I would, what I would tell people to do is to, to join the Coming Home Network. Go to the Coming Home Network, become a member. It costs nothing. Just join and you, I'm there. I'm, a, I'm part of the Helpers Network. I'm on the app in the network for the forum and the discussion. Look me up. Uh, one of the coolest things that the app does now is say, Hey, you live in this town, right? Well, here's some people in your general vicinity that have, you know, maybe they have similar backgrounds or not, but look me up. I will talk to anybody. You don't have to be Baptist. It helps if you don't, if you are, but you don't have to be. I would love to encourage you to pray for you. And if I know somebody or something and that's where you, that's what you need, I will do everything that I possibly can because people did that for me. I've, my first job that I found was through the Coming Home Network. So if I can be uh, be in that position that someone else was for me, I would love to do that for somebody. And we actually have a job board on that site that you mentioned. It is uh, it is a free online community. It's a social network. It's completely detached from Facebook or any of that stuff. It's uh, run on our own platform. Um, and it's uh, community.chnetwork.org. And you can direct message Andy. I was direct messaging him just this week, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's a pretty powerful yep. thing. Um, to be able to have that closed community where the only people in there are people who know what you're going through. It's pretty amazing. But Mike, um, if people want to get in touch with you or, or hear, um, you know, maybe uh, mm-hmm. what, what kind of counsel you might give to them if they're in a ministry crisis right now. I'll, I'll give you my email address, which is my first initial and last name. So M-A-L-L-E-N at C-D-L-E-X dot org. That's M-A-L-L-E-N at C as in Catholic, D as in diocese, L-E-X as in short for Lexington.org. Be happy to talk. And bear in mind also that uh, because this is done through the Coming Home Network and we know Mike and Andy and have for a couple decades almost at this point, um, you can always reach out through the Coming Home Network. And if uh, you know Mike or Andy don't live anywhere near you and can't meet for coffee or if they um, there, you're looking for somebody who has maybe a more of a Pentecostal story or an Episcopalian story. We got those too, man. We got a whole, it's like a Pokemon library. I mean, we got, we've caught them all at this <laughs> point. Um, but please do reach us out to us at the coming home network, chnetwork.org. We'd love to connect you if you're a member of the clergy. And we also have, um, a special thing that we've developed really just in the past year or so to where if you're a pastor who's in this tight spot right now, we'd love to get you out on one of our coming home network retreats. And we'd love to make sure because we know how financially strained you are in this world. Make sure you don't have to pay a nickel uh, to come out. Uh, so we'll cover your travel, cover your retreat, cover your everything as part of that. So if you are a pastor mm-hmm. in that situation right now, please do reach out to us, chnetwork.org retreats. Mike Allen, Andy McNutt, thank you for responding. Thanks for sharing so much of your own personal stories. This has been really great. Thank you very much, Matt, and uh, really appreciate it. And thank you for watching this episode of Coming Home Network Presents. We'll talk to you next time around.